All right, good morning, Three Circle Church and all of our campuses that are joining us online right now and the the online uh, audience as well. Great to have you guys with us as we will jump into the Word of God now. We're in the middle of a series on the fruit of the Spirit introduced to us by Jesus in the book of John and then elaborated on and further explained in Galatians. We kind of have this anchor verse that we keep coming back to in the book of Galatians. And I'll remind you that that our anchor verse where the apostle Paul lists out famously the components of the fruit of the spirit, it has bookends on the front part of it, which we have explored, where Paul said there's this thing called the works of the flesh. All of us in this room can produce the works of the flesh on our own. We don't need any help. It's totally natural for you to produce the works of the flesh and they're not good. Okay. But then he says, there's this thing called the fruit of the spirit, which we're exploring all summer long. And it can only be done by God. Only God can produce the fruit of the spirit. And then we've not explored what he said after that. He actually goes a little further, and today we're going to do that for the first time. So we went backwards and we looked at the works of the flesh. We're going to keep exploring the fruit of the Spirit, but I want you to see today what he said right after he explained the fruit of the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5.22, and today we'll extend further to verse 25. But the fruit of the Spirit, remember he's just talked about the works of the flesh, so he's comparing the two. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things, there is no law. Okay, what we've not done is gone beyond that. Look what he says next in verse 24. He said, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. And that's kind of how he closes out this section about the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at what he says in verses 24 through 25. The first thing I see here is Paul invokes some of the most violent language of his day to describe our attitude as Christians towards our flesh. And it's the word crucify. Now, for us, we don't, we don't see crucifixions everywhere, but we're pretty aware because our Savior was crucified of what that is. But in the ancient world, it was a nightmare. Uh, The Romans instilled fear in all of their provinces, if you will, and cities, if you will, by publicly executing people in the worst possible way. It was crucifixion. So the Apostle Paul is being very intentional when he says here that we as Christians will have an attitude towards our flesh that will become almost violent. He says we have to crucify our flesh. So here's what I would say. We must continually and forcefully confront our flesh. As Christians, you will more and more develop a hatred for your flesh. You don't want to sin anymore against God. You take it seriously. And we live in a culture that, that flaunts sin. We live in a culture that, that says sin is okay and you have your own truth and do what you want to do as long as it feels good, all that kind of thing. And yet the Bible says here that believers will see sin and see our flesh differently. We want it to die. But I don't know. I've got a little problem. I put my flesh on the cross and I turn around and it's getting off the cross. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that's why Jesus said you got to take up your cross daily. That's why we said you've got to continually and forcefully confront your flesh. This happens. Now remember, this is all the fruit of the Spirit, so it's already in you. You don't go do this on your own. As you walk with Jesus, you will hate your sin more, frankly. And as you abide in him, this fruit will grow in you, and you will begin to see your flesh in this way. 
But there's something, there's good news too. Look at verse 25. As Christians, we live a new way. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have a new way of living. The life pattern of authentic believers is the Spirit-led life. Look what it says here. If we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit invokes authority. Think about this. If anyone ever tells you, cook this by the recipe, what are they saying to you? Don't just sprinkle the salt the way you want to. Don't just throw in what you want to throw in. No, this is a recipe. Do my recipe. Do it by the book. By the means I'm not the authority. Someone else is. And Paul says here, real Christians more and more will live by the spirit, meaning I'm being led. I'm not in charge anymore. That's what's happening here when we walk with Christ. It's a new way of living. It's a new life pattern. Now watch this. You will have moments of the flesh. How many of you still have moments in your flesh? All right. A lot of you just had one where you lied right here in church by not raising your hand. That was one of your flesh moments. We give you five of those every Sunday. All right. Then you're on the bench. We all have moments, but, but what Paul's saying here is real Christians, it, before you came to Christ, your pattern was the flesh. And you might could pull off a moment of a fruit of the, like this, but it wasn't who you were. You were just, you were acting. You could pull off moments of doing good things, but your pattern was the flesh. You become a Christian, your pattern becomes the spirit, the God-honoring life. And your moments become moments of the flesh. Does that make sense? And so this is very important for us to understand. The life pattern becomes spirit-led. Now, with all that in mind, let's go back to our anchor verse. Because we're walking through the components of the fruit of the spirit. We looked at love. Agape love. It's not like normal love that we have in our world. It's, cho- it's when we choose to love. And Jesus modeled all of them for us because the fruit of the spirit is simply the character of Christ written down. And so Jesus died on the cross saying, here's what it looks like, agape love. He washed his disciples' feet. This is what it looks like. Um, We looked at the idea of joy, joy, not happiness. Happiness is okay, but I can get that from a good cheeseburger. Joy, different thing. Joy stays when happiness walks out the door. Peace, we looked at last week. Peace is not the absence of, of bad conditions. It's God giving you calm in the middle of bad conditions. God calm me in my storms. He hasn't calmed all of my storms. In fact, we only have one time in the Bible where he calmed the disciples storms. The rest of the time it's like the storms keep raging and God calmed them in their storms. But today we're going to come to what most of the time people think is the easiest one of all the fruit of the spirit. It is patience. Your immediate reaction, and I can, I can feel people in Robertsdale reacting. I can feel people in Daphne reacting right now. Because we know, no, that's not true. In fact, patience, this component of the fruit of the Spirit, is so unnatural to us. When, when we see it in our lives, we can go, now that wasn't me right there. That's Jesus. Because in fact, we are impatient humans, aren't we? Our flesh is impatient. We're innately impatient because we hate to wait. Come on now, we hate to wait. In fact, what I'm going to do now is show you three images and I'm going to make one statement and all are going to make you feel impatient. You ready? Three images, one statement, all will make you feel impatient. Here we go. You ready? Image number one. It's hot, and you're going to stand for two hours for a two-minute ride. 
This is, we hate to wait in a line at amusement park so bad, they, they figured it out, and now we will pay big money for a fast pass. Am I right? So we don't have to wait. They come to you, they go, hey, for $5,000 and a 10-year mortgage, your family can have fast passes, and you go, give me a pen, I will sign up. We're impatient. We don't like to wait. Here's another one, because we hate to wait. Here's another one. Waiting on water to boil. I hate what, waiting on water to boil. Why? Why? If I put my hand on that same burner, immediately I burn. But the water's like, watch, and, watch me. Watch how long I can sit here and not bubble for you. My grandmother knew how impatient I was, and she used to say, you do know, son, if you look at it, it won't boil. It's a, so even now, my, my grandmother's in heaven, and for, to her honor, I will talk to the pot. I'll be like, I'm not looking. You do your thing, and I'll look over here, Okay. I hate to wait, man. I want it now. Here's one that'll get you. How about this? The drive-through line. The drive-through line. It's called fast food. I am basically risking my culinary life. I'm risking my health to eat your food. When I go to your restaurant, it's fast food. You're going to drop it in a vat of seed oil. You're going to fry it to death. You're going to put it in a bag and give me a Coke or something like that, and then I'm going to pray and ask God to bless this to the nourishment of my body. And if I do all that, the least you could do is get it to me fast. But how many of you know that's not the case a lot? In fact, is there anything worse than, than, it, than the line going fast and you think, oh man, oh man, this is my day. I'm going to get this culinary adventure on my plate fast. And then you get to that window and they say sir thank you so much for paying for this do you mind pulling right over there and waiting for a little while and I've waited long enough out there they should have brought me a steak that's how long not a burger a steak could have come right makes us impatient those are three things that you feel you're impatient I'm going to make one statement now that'll make you impatient you ready crossing Mobile Bay on either one of the bridges we'll leave it right there I feel it in the room I feel right now like, I understand that the world has figured out that we have beautiful beaches in South Alabama. Do you mind not using our bridges to get to them? That'd be great. So there are things that make us impatient. So when we see patience, we know, now that didn't come from me. Yet the Bible says that patience is very important, so important it was, it is one of the components of the fruit of the Spirit. So what is it? Well, biblical patience is the Spirit-empowered ability for believers to wait first and foremost on God. We call that in the Bible trust. That's what it looks like. And navigate hard relationships and circumstances. And that's in the Bible, the word is, is used as endurance, to endure. Those are patience. In a God-honoring way. Now I thought I'd have a little fun with the language here. And if you do a little research, you'll see that in the Old Testament, most of the languages, original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, New Testament, primarily Greek. Patience is evident in both of those languages. In the Old Testament, it is erak epeim. And the word means in Hebrew, long nostriled. Long nostrils. Now think about that. Now why do you think they said that? Well, the language is describing what happens physiologically when you're patient. Everybody close your mouth real quick at all of our campuses in here and breathe in real deep. You know what just happened? Y'all got long nostrils. That's what happened. That's literally what it's describing. It's saying when you slow things down, when you have the ability, when everything's going wild to 
Well, the Greeks, the Greeks always went inside. They always liked to get on the inside. So the Greeks used a word, a macrothemia, and the Greek word there means long as well. It means long-souled, meaning that deep inside of you, this is what both the Hebrew language and the Greek language was grabbing. You ready? Patience, biblically, the fruit of the Spirit, is your God-given ability to play the long game rather than rushing everything. You have an ability to play the long game. And this is <clears throat> crucial. It's crucial to learn to play the long game. In a, in a true story in ancient military lore, uh, the uh, general of Carthage, Hannibal, very well known, was fighting the Italians, Rome, and he's laying siege to a city. And they have them outnumbered like crazy. The city does not have many soldiers left. But Hannibal noticed something that the people were doing. His spies brought him close and he could see. As they were laying siege to the city, the people of the city were planting their gardens. Literally plowing the ground and putting seeds in the ground. And Hannibal looked at his men and he said, these people believe that they're going to outlast us. So much so that they're planting crops that they intend to harvest. Those folks are playing the long game. They had long nostrils. <laughs> Deep inside they had long soul. They're playing the long game. But too many of us are playing the short game. We're worried to death about our kid right now. My kid's got to be popular. Good. He struck out three times this weekend. What will we do? We play the short game. You know, playing the long game is important. I'll tell you another thing reason patience is important is, is marriage. We live in a culture that tells you to have a great wedding. For $50,000, you can too have a great wedding. Weddings today look different than they did a long time ago. A long time ago, typically they're in churches. Now, we, we, we live in a modern world, but we want our weddings to look like the 1800s. All right? Lots of shiplap, horses, all of that. It's got to be old feeling, somewhere old. And, and which is beautiful. I do a lot of weddings. They're beautiful. But there's so much emphasis on let's have a great wedding. And I always, the first thing I do with couples when they want me to do their weddings is I say, I am more interested in your marriage than your wedding. Because long after the frosting on that cake is gone, long after your wedding dress may or may not fit anymore. You know what I'm saying? And I know for the guys, long after the tux does not fit anymore, you know what I'm saying? Life happens. Long after that is in, you're looking at those pictures, you know what's left is the marriage. And too many of us, there's way too many great weddings and bad marriages. Do you know what a wedding requires, a good wedding requires? Money. You know what a great marriage requires? Patience. Patience. It's the long game. It's the long game, and too many of us play the short game, but God empowers us to play the long game. So why is patience so important? Well, let's, let's walk through some of the reasons. Number one, it's an attribute of God. Our God is patient, and the character of Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit written down for us. That means that our God is patient. He himself proclaimed that he is patient. He wanted us to know this about him. In Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a God merciful, gracious, and here's another way to say patient, 
He's slow to anger, and he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I'm just telling you in this room, if God were not patient, we're all dead. He's patient. And Jesus modeled like he did love and like he did peace and like he did joy. He modeled patience. You can see it with his own disciples. What would God be like if he hung out with people? Well, look at Jesus. He picks 12 guys, and they are not the easiest cats to deal with. They all got their issues. And just for fun, he threw in a couple of teenagers. They were brothers. Now, we know, what's funny to me is we know James and John as these heroes of the faith. John ends up being the disciple of love. He's the pastor of Ephesus as an old man. He, everybody, lo- everybody loved John, and John loved everyone. But John was basically like, he was so impetuous, he and his brother, that Jesus nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder. They were like a wrestling duo. They needed intro music. One time a town didn't do something they wanted them to do and they come to Jesus and they're like, Lord, we would like you to send fire down from heaven and incinerate this city. Doesn't that sound like a couple of 17-year-olds? Jesus rebukes them. The best thing the sons of thunder did is when they got their mama involved. Oh, yeah. Imagine that day. All the other guys are looking. Here comes sons of thunder. What are they up to now? And there's their mom. I'm sure Peter and Thomas are over there like, what's, what's up here? Mom walks up to Jesus like all helicopter moms do. <laughs> Jesus, my sons. It's kind of like when the mom comes to the baseball coach. Hey, my kid didn't get enough time. And you know that coach is wanting to say, there's a reason, ma'am. There is, there's a reason. There's a reason these things happen. So she says, well, my sons would like to sit next to you in your kingdom. They won't, would you be willing to let them, you know, right, right next to you? Can you imagine their other disciples, what they were thinking in that moment? I bet Peter's over there like that. Give me one chance. I'm going to get these boys. I'm going to get them. One chance. So Jesus kind of moves mama aside. I got you, mama. Got you. Move them over here. And he looks at these two sons of thunder. And he says, want to sit next to me, huh? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? In other words, do you know what I'm going to do for you? Now, now Jesus drops the hammer on these two boys. Do you know I'm going to suffer? You think you can do to sit in that place? Do you know what it requires? Are you prepared to do what I'm going to do and walk what I'm going to walk? At this moment, these boys should be on their knees weeping, not the sons of thunder. They look at him and go, yep, we can. High-fiving one another, you know, sure, yeah, we can do that. Wrong answer. See, these, these young guys were in a process, and Jesus never poured concrete on their bad moments. Because when Jesus was looking at those two young men, he didn't see who they were right then. He could see who he was making them. He could see who they were going to be. He could see what he was going to use them to do. He looked at young, impetuous John, and he didn't see this teenager standing in front of him. He saw down the road. He saw that that'd be the only one standing at the cross. He saw as an old 70-year-old man, John, getting stuck on a craggy old rocky island, and instead of whining about it, saying, someone give me a sheepskin and a quill, and I'll write Revelation. And you know what? Jesus is playing the long game with you and me, too, isn't he? 
How many of you are glad that Jesus is playing the long game in your life? He's not, he's not defining you by, by your moments. He's working with you. He's doing something in you. He's growing the fruit of the spirit in you. And even though we're all impatient sometimes, he's growing patience inside of us. And I'm telling you, you walk with God long enough, you will not be who you are right now. You will continue to become who he's created you to be because he's playing the long game. And, and, and we will begin to learn to do that too. Secondly, it's a position of strength. The Bible tells us that when we exhibit patience, it's a position of strength. Solomon wrote in his proverbial way in chapter 25 of Proverbs, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue can break a bone. What he meant was people who are patient and don't just rush in and don't just push, push, push. People who are willing to exhibit that can be so persuasive, even kings will listen to them. That's how powerful patience is. On a battlefield, patience is really important. You don't, you don't have to worry about the dude running in like he's Braveheart with the sword swinging it everywhere. The guy you better watch out for is the guy who's standing back watching how the battle's playing out and waiting for the right moment. That guy will take you out. And that's what Solomon says. He says on a battlefield or in a courtroom, patience is important. It's a position of strength. When I was a kid, I remember we had a baseball coach and, and this lesson was so instilled in me. In the late 80s, early 90s, things could happen. You'd get a lawsuit now, the, my coach would. But what he did literally is he got us all, he said, all you boys stand there with your gloves. Baseballs, we're standing there, you know, little knuckleheads. And he shoved every one of us to the ground. He walked by, just shoving us to the ground. We're all rolling on the ground. And he walks up and said, you boys stand up. Got a big old dip of Copenhagen. He said, all right, boys. Like at that point in modern day, again, there wouldn't have been one helicopter. There would have been 20 helicopters coming in on this coach. My mom's standing out there cheering him on. Get him, get him. So we all stand back up. He says, now, the reason y'all fell to the ground is because you're weak. I'm going to teach you how to be strong. You need to learn the position of strength. Yes, sir. So he said, I want everybody to stagger your feet. Put one foot a little behind the other one, okay? Bend your knees a little bit, yes sir. Pull your shoulders back. All us little boys pull our shoulders back. And here he comes again. I'm like, oh Lord, this time he may kick me in the face. I don't know what he's about to do. And he comes by and he pushes us again and we just stood there. Pushed everyone else. Mm, mm, mm. Nobody hits the ground, we always stand there. He gets done, he looks at us. He says, now boys, that's what I call a position of strength. On the ground. <laughs> And I've never forgotten that lesson. Never forgotten it. The Bible says that patience is a position of strength. You don't realize just that little thing, but it makes you slow down. It makes you make better decisions. You see things, think things, trusting in God. It is a position of strength. Not only that, but it's a, it's a thing that helps us finish. We're really good at starting, but patience finishes. It's the finisher. We need to finish. Again, starting looks like a wedding. Finishing looks like a lifelong marriage. Having, having your children's different than parenting them, isn't it? A little different. I remember bringing mine home going, I don't know what to do with this thing. I love him already, but what am I going to do? And then you learn and God grows you and parenting's a beautiful process, but it requires a lot of patience. It's a long game. 
It's a long game. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the, oh, there, here, here's how you get there, the word, there it is. And the patient in spirit is something deep in you is better than the proud in spirit. Pride will make you start a hundred different things and not finish any of them. Pride is hubris. Pride is look what I can do. Patience is I want to I want to I want to only start the things that I know I'm supposed to so that I can finish them. Because starting's fun. Right? Starting's great. The hard part is is finishing. Yet the Bible says it requires patience. And this is one thing God's doing in us. He is empowering us to become finishers in life. Fourthly, it it makes what we're doing in this church right now possible. It makes unity and community possible. That's what it does. Because for us to love each other well, care for each other well, serve one another, lay our lives down for one another, which we are called to do as a church, That should not be possible with a group like the church because churches are uniquely diverse socioeconomically. We all all earn different amounts of money. We all have different backgrounds. We have different color skin. We, We have different ideas. Some of us have different politics, all of that stuff. And yet, when we all get in this room under the banner of Christ, the Bible calls us to do things with one another and for one another that's impossible without God's help. And it requires, you guessed it, patience. We shouldn't even all like each other, to be honest with you. We're so different. And yet we love each other, long for each other, care for each other. How? Why? How's it even possible? Well, Romans 15, 5 through 6 says this. Look what, look what Paul says. May the God of endurance, and what's endurance a word for? Patience. May the God of endurance and encouragement, and here's how we can pull it off, grant you, it's the fruit of the Spirit, he's got to do it, may he grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens when we model the fruit of the Spirit as a church? We become one loud voice that says to the world, our God is real our God is great because we couldn't pull this off. We can't, we can't do this without Jesus. That's why your marriages matter. You can't do that the way God wants you to without the help of God, the empowerment of God. And it's why church matters so much. So the reason we say do everything you can to gather consistently with the saints, it's not just so we can count you. It's so much more. Because this is unique in how it tells the world the greatness of God. We're his hands and feet to show the world who he is. And then finally, it's simply part of the uniform. Church, listen, every team has a uniform. Every team has a uniform. My kids play ball. We've got to buy those uniforms. And it's pretty specific. And as they get older and the teams get more serious the uniforms get more serious I want a yellow belt with yellow socks with blue stripes up top and it's got to be these kind of pants and it gets pretty serious I get it too it's like you want to be on our team got to have this uniform you show up with the wrong stuff you're going to take a trip to the local academy store because you got to wear the uniform and do you know that the bible says that the fruit of the spirit including patience is our uniform 
It's part of who we are. If you want to be a part of Jesus, he's going to put this on you. In fact, Paul uses that very language of putting something on in Colossians when he talks again about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, put on then. It's like a uniform. As God's chosen ones, in other words, if we had a team name, God's chosen ones. (laughs) Maybe we should start a baseball team like that, God's chosen ones. That'll get you hammered out there on the field. We'll show you guys, right? But look what it says. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and here's what your uniform looks like. Put it on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and there it is, patience. And what does it look like? How do we play ball? What's our distinctiveness as a team? Well, our distinctiveness is, verse 13, we bear with one another. If someone has a complaint against another, we forgive each other. As the Lord, and and here's what's important about us, we don't do anything that our Lord hasn't done already for us. We do all of this because he's forgiven us. So we have to do these things. So there it is. The uniform of Christianity includes this idea of long nostril, long soul. We play the long game with our kids, with our families, with our friends, with one another, in our marriages, We play the long game, and it sets us apart. It brings us great joy and great good to the situations we're in. It's a different way to live because our world does not live this way. Our world is fast, it's rushed, it is impetuous, it's reactionary. This is a different way to live. And this way of living is so unique and different, the world takes notice. It's shocking when we live this way. So shocking that we ourselves are shocked by it, aren't we? When we see this fruit hanging on our tree of patience, we go, well, my goodness, God is at work in me. Because we simply could not do that on our own. Well, what's the most important piece of waiting, though? We started with it, and now we'll end on it. It's actually learning to wait on God. Waiting on God is the most important piece of this. You've got to learn to be patient long-souled in how you walk with God. Because I'll tell you right now, God is not on your timetable. You're not rushing him. You can sit in his driveway and honk all day long. He'll come out when he's ready. You're not getting him in a hurry. He's on his timetable. And you're going to have to get on his plan. And that is very hard. And yet the Bible tells us that if you'll learn to wait on God, The benefits are unbelievable. In Isaiah, it says this in chapter 40, verses 30 and 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. And everybody pause. Before we go on, listen. What that's telling you is, in the ancient world, kind of a show of strength with the young men, right? They go into battle. They do all of that. And and the idea here is, even youths, meaning that all of us, even those of us in the prime of physical life, watch this, If you rush all the time, if you're anxious all the time, if you're worried all the time, if you can't trust in God, if you're always trying to make it happen, it'll wear you out. It'll wear you out. You'll have no energy left, and it doesn't matter how young and strong you are. That will wear you out. You weren't made to live like that, okay? We got that? And here's that word, but. But there's another way. Here it is. But they who wait for the Lord, we learn to live like that. We renew our strength. 
We mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now listen, what he's saying is, you know, eagles, he could have used another example. He could have said buzzards. And the example would have sounded like this. If we wait on God, we will like buzzards. The stinkier the roadkill is, the more of us will be hanging out next to it. He didn't say that though. He said eagles. And why? Why? Because eagles, the harder the wind blows, the higher the eagle flies. Because opposition and hurdles and, and wind, all of that, it just, it just makes him fly higher. And he just relates. You ever seen an eagle working hard? I've never seen a worried eagle in my life. You look out there and he's just like, bring it on. They're just soaring, aren't they? That's the picture God gives us. Those of us who learn to wait on him instead of being anxious and worried and trying to make everything happen and rush, rush, rush. If we'll learn to trust him. And, and that's what it's saying. Now watch. Many of us have a hard time with this because we think that to wait on God means we do nothing. That's not what it means. I want you to see the difference. Waiting on God is actively trusting in him. Trusting God means both to obey him and wait on him. Watch this. So we obey everything God has told us to do while we wait and trust that he's going to do what he's going to do. And, and that's where we live. We do everything he's told us to do and we trust him with the rest. We trust him with the outcomes. And when we're able to live like that, we soar. We soar. Harder the wind blows, higher we seem to soar. That is the promise. And see, the problem is we're not built to live like that on our own. We need Jesus to do it in us. And so here's where we're going to end today because the difference is our approach. We have to learn to choose between a microwave and a crock pot approach. And too many, of, we, are, we are wired for microwaves. Microwaves aren't bad. They're great for popcorn. They're great for warming up something. But you've never had anything great out of a microwave. No one has ever said to their spouse, hey, want to celebrate our anniversary next week and here's what I'm going to do for you, babe. I'm going to microwave a little something up. <laughs> We're going to have a good night. You've never called your friends and said, hey, we've not hung out in a while. We would like to have y'all over to the house and, and be prepared because we've got this stack of Salisbury steak little dinners and we're going to microwave them. No one's ever said that. But let me tell you what, everything that comes out of a crock pot is delicious. It's delicious. You can go out in your backyard this afternoon and find an old stick. Put it in your crock pot. Put some chicken broth in there, some ranch seasoning, some salt and pepper, cook it for 10 hours. Later on the night, invite your friends over, scoop some out. They'll bite into it and go, what is this? And you go, old stick I found in the backyard. And they will say to you, well, it, well, it's delicious. Am I right? And see, we want to rush everything, but God's not, God's not microwaving stuff. He's slow cooking it, and we've got to learn to trust him. And so we want, to, we want to help you to apply this. So I'm going to pray, and one of our folks is going to come out and talk to you, and at all of our campuses, they will as well, and how to apply this. Jesus, thank you for your truth today. Help us to now apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.